Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And it's time for another classic episode, another Friday classic. We're looking at an episode that originally published on April 22nd, 2013. This episode is titled Tech Stuff Gets Stealthy. And yeah, it's all about stealth technology and how that works. Let's listen in. Are pirates concerned with being stealthy? Is they, that... You have to know the weapons of your enemy, is what I'm saying. And pirates and ninja being natural enemies in the wild, it's important to study your enemy's techniques. All this talk of pirates and ninjas reminds me very much of the uh, Cold War. Right, and that is an important reason why stealth technology even exists. So uh, thank you for getting us back on track, Lauren. So stealth technology, in general, stealth technology refers to the types of tech we use in aircraft to make them difficult or impossible to detect, mainly via radar, although we also think about things like infrared scanners, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and really, to understand how stealth works, we first have to understand what radar is and how that works. Oh, right. Uh, radar, radar works thanks to uh, two basic concepts, and that's echo and Doppler shift. Yes. So, yeah, an echo. I mean, like if you if you were to shout out, uh, you know, you go visit the Grand Canyon and you shout as loudly as you can, uh, you might hear after a few seconds your voice coming back to you. And that's because some when you when you shout something out, you know, your your voice is traveling out in sound waves. They will collide with the other side of the canyon and some of those sound waves will bounce back at you you and eventually arrive back to where you are. And if you are loud enough when you make the initial sound, you should be able to hear some of that sound return. So that's why you've got that little delay. Right, right. And now if, if you were to measure the length of time that it took for that sound to bounce back to you and, and measure it pretty accurately, then you could mathematically calculate about how far that sound went. Yeah. And of course, you also need to know some other factors like air pressure, humidity, things that would affect how fast the sound the will travel. Sound. Sure. Yeah, because as we know, sound will travel at different speeds through different media, and that even includes different atmospheres. So if you are, you know, if you're really at sea level, sound travels at a different speed than it would if you were at thirty thousand feet. But uh, it's not necessarily detectable to a human ear, but right. it would it's definitely not, it's not be measurable in in day to day conversation, for right. example. Yeah, but, I, you know, I I don't go down to Florida and go like, man, it's really humid. I can barely hear you from this point <laughs> five. Oh, you know, it's sound. taking it's taking longer for your words to hit my ear. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the same principle works on radar, except instead of sound, we're talking about electromagnetic waves or radio waves. Mm-hmm. And so you use radio waves to uh, you project them out. And if they come into contact with something, some of those radio waves will bounce back. So if you have a receiver, uh, then you can detect those incoming waves and determine by how long it took to go out and back, about how far away that object is. Now, you also mentioned Doppler shift, so we have to talk about that. Right, right. And Doppler shift is, uh, for example, why a car's horn sounds higher pitched when the car is moving towards you than it does when the car is moving away from you. Yeah, there's there's a great article on How Stuff Works that explains this that uh, I like a lot. Marshall Brain actually wrote it. He's the founder of How Stuff Works, and uh, and in it, Marshall talked about how if you were if the car is sitting still. 
and uh, the driver leans on the horn for a minute, first of all, you must be in Boston. Uh, and second, uh, it, th- it that means that if you are far enough away, let's say that you're far enough away that the sound takes uh, six seconds to get to you, all right? And you're sitting there, that means that the the horn will have been uh, sounding for six seconds before you can even hear it. Right. Right. But then it'll it'll last for a minute. That's how long, uh, because the person's leaning is, on it for is a minute. Is leaning on their long. horn. Okay. Now, if that car is traveling toward you, then uh, the the pitch of that is going to be higher than it would be if uh, if it were just sitting still. Those those waves are essentially compressed. They're you compressing, have, right? Yeah, as they're moving frequ- towards you, a higher frequency in the same amount of time. So, uh, and then of course, if the car goes by you, you know you've heard this if you've ever heard a siren when a, a, a an emergency vehicle has either come up behind or approached you and then passed. As it goes, as it's traveling toward you, it's a higher pitch, and as it's going away, it's a lower pitch, and that's because of the frequency of the waves and the way that the object making the sound is traveling versus the sound itself traveling. So the interesting thing about Doppler shift is if you can detect the, uh, if you know what the frequency of the waves were when it was going out, so in other words, you've got a transmitter, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's your, your radar transmitter, an antenna that's transmitting the high burst of, uh, high frequency, uh, radio waves. You know what the frequency is when you transmit. When the frequency comes back, uh, it's going to be, or when the radio waves come back, rather, it's going to be possibly at a different frequency than it was when it went out. Now, that means that the object it hit was in motion. If it's a higher frequency, that means that object is essentially moving toward you. If it's a lower frequency, that object is moving away. Right. So the comp- and, by, and by measuring exactly the difference in the pitch, you can measure how fast it's going. Yeah, exactly. Or, or at least get an estimate. A pretty good idea. Yes. Yeah. And because we're talking, you know, radio waves move essentially at the speed of light. So, you know, the, the delays here are really, really super tiny. And, and the uh, transmission is like uh, is a fraction of a second long. Right. So you transmit these really short bursts and, uh, and... And then turn off the transmitter and allow the waves to come back. Right. And you measure the, the delay between when it went out and when it came back and you measure the Doppler shift and that gives you an idea of the position and speed at which the object you know, is moving. So if it's moving towards you or away uh, and it's very useful for detecting things like aircraft. And in fact, we use it all the time, not just in military applications, but air traffic control. Sure. So here's the thing. If you are running a military operation and you want to run surveillance or some sort of uh, sortie against uh, an enemy territory, then you probably don't want your vehicles to be detected. It's generally bad policy. Yeah, because yeah, that means that they can be shot down or, or otherwise compromised. And so you want to be able to run your mission without uh, any kind of uh, entanglements. And so... That's when people started thinking, well, the radar is a really useful tool for detection. How can we get around radar so that our enemies don't know when we are there? Right. And that's what really got the uh, United States thinking about stealth technology. And really, it was the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. This was all during the 1970s. Everyone was really tense. Yeah, yeah. The Soviet Union, uh, or the then Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. and the United States had been in a Cold War pretty consistently since shortly after World War II. And by the 1970s, this had uh, really, we were seeing escalation on both sides. Right. Uh, arsenals were getting more and more powerful and complex. It was a lot of posturing on the part of both countries. Oh, definitely. Uh, and the rest of the world was mostly saying, guys, can we, can can, we chill out? Can we all just simmer? Yeah. yeah. This is getting a little 
uh, tense for all of us. Can we go get a pizza? Yeah, because once you start talking about how many times each country could destroy the other country via nuclear weapons, like we could destroy the, Uni- the United States 10 times over. Well, we can destroy the Soviet Union 12 times over. And everyone else is saying, really, is there this much need for the these many right, weapons? Right, right, yeah. Well, one of the, the thoughts was, how can we deliver a nuclear payload to an enemy territory without the, the... Without them detecting that we're there and stopping us before right. we can. Yeah, before the aircraft gets shot down. Or even, our, you know, how can we run spy missions and, you know... Yeah. Exactly. And so at the time, the main aircraft that was being used in bombing runs in the United States was the B-52 bomber. And the B-52 is not a stealth vehicle at all. Anti that. Yeah, it's actually uh, has a quite quite a large radar footprint. It's mm-hmm. very detectable. Uh, but it can travel quite fast, and it can carry very large payloads. And uh, it, it was first introduced back in 1955. And it's known for being a reliable aircraft, so much so that there are still more than yeah, 80 B-52s in active service. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually projected after a couple of upgrades that will happen uh, between now and 2015. Uh, it's projected to be an active part of our Air Force until the 2040s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is a oh, OK. This is a longevity issue here. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a workhorse, but it is not a stealth vehicle. So the United States started to open up the possibility for different companies to bid on developing a, a an aircraft that could stealthily fly and not be detected by radar. Uh-huh. And, and still have the carrying capacity to deliver large nuclear payloads. Yeah. Yeah, that's because that was the other part of it. Yes. Um, scary, scary stuff. Well, there, there was simultaneously development of other stealth, te- stealth technology going on that we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, yeah. But that was uh, that was more on that research kind of side of things. And right. The B-2, which is what came out of uh, all that we're talking about right now. Yeah, the B-2 was the big one. I mean, that was the one that was uh, unveiled and uh, and talked about the most. And the B-2 yeah. is also better known as the stealth bomber. Mm-hmm. It's also the called the B-2 Spirit, and most of the uh, individual planes are called the Spirit of something or oh, other. Oh, okay, cute. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was first unveiled publicly on November 22nd, 1988 in Palmdale, California, at the Air Force Plant 42. Uh, that same year, another stealth aircraft was unveiled. That was the F-117 Nighthawk, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. It was uh, Northrop Grumman that uh, ended up winning that, that bidding battle. And they're the ones who developed the B-2. It took about a decade mm-hmm. for them to make it and about $40 billion in <laughs> research and development. Yeah, which which was up over what they had originally stated uh, they might be able to do it for. Yeah, and uh, and also the planes themselves, the bombers themselves, were more expensive than what they originally intended. They first thought that they could deliver the entire order for, you know... Of 132 planes. 132 planes for like... Forty billion, twenty billion. Well, I think it went from twenty to forty to seventy. Yeah, yeah. The the original contract was uh, for twenty two billion, yeah. from what I've read. Right. And then, um, as of nineteen eighty. 88, 88, yes. 88 uh, when, when, when it was unveiled, uh, it had the total price had jumped to like over seventy billion. Yeah, and so it, and eventually they figured that each aircraft would cost about one to two billion dollars a, a piece. piece, and so uh, it it got really expensive really fast. Like that ended up being the. Uh, <laughs> the target of a lot of criticism. Oh, uh, sure. uh, you know, people saying that these these 
contracts are all based on estimates that were not realistic. Mm-hmm. And whether or not the companies were aware of how unrealistic they were was a matter of doubt, and it just got into a really sore subject. But something happened that ended up kind of taking a little of the sting out, which is that in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. And suddenly people didn't really have so much of a need to uh, to carry large amounts of nuclear warheads across Enemy territory, yeah. Really quietly and yeah, quickly. Yeah, so it, when your when your chief nemesis uh, goes under, and and of course we can you know today uh, when you look at the United States and Russia, there are other uh, issues where you might say well, things are starting to turn around at some points. You know, there's always oh, sure. tension, and, and, and there's always tension between various world powers like that. Like you know, a, it's like United like North States Korea, and China, uh-huh. yeah. North Korea right now. Yeah. You know, there's there's always always mm, chicanery going yeah. on. Right. But. So so anyway, because the Soviet Union collapsed, that that helped uh, the United States come to the decision to reduce the order from 132 to 21 aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, 20 of which are still flying around today. Right, and I'll right. talk a little bit about that. But before I do that, I guess we should kind of describe what the B-2 looks like in case you guys have never seen one. They're funky. They are. Uh, the, the design is called a flying wing, actually, because yep. with most aircraft, you know, I mean, it's you've you've, you've seen an airplane, right? Um, Many it's times. Got, it's got it's got a body. It's got wings. It's got uh, stabilizers. Stabilizers yeah. coming off in little strange angles. But yeah, but but this flying wing is designed so that um, the entire craft generates lift. Yeah. So it's it doesn't have all the, like the fuselage and the wings. It's it's all one body. Uh-huh. It's not it's not like. You know, you've got a tube that's the fuselage, and then you've got the two the two wings attached to that. No, it's all one giant wing. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it, you know, you just go fast enough, and it generates the lift it needs to fly. Mm-hmm. It and, is, uh, yeah, the uh, eliminating the the tail and the fuselage reduced drag, and it, yeah, and also means that because of its design. It doesn't have like it's it's easier for it to avoid radar detection based on the stuff it's made of, and we'll talk more about that and how the stealth stuff actually works in a little bit. It is 172 feet wide, which is 52.4 meters, which is which is a bunch. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's, it's not small. It's essentially if you were to look at an American football field, a uh, a B two bomber from wingspan from wingtip to wingtip would be more than half the length of an American wow. football field. Yeah, and, and this is this is a vehicle built for two people. Yeah, to it's, sit in. It's, yeah so, it's a it's a two yeah. person aircraft. Uh, yeah, it's also uh, sixty nine feet from uh, tail. I mean, quote unquote tail to tip. It doesn't really have a tail. Yeah, I guess the 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 length of the where end the, bit of the yeah, wings. Exactly where the B two stops being. <laughs> to where the B two starts being right, and is and is seventeen feet high. Yep, and uh, and it uh it can fly about six thousand nautical miles, which is about eleven thousand one hundred twelve kilometers before it needs to refuel. And if you have an aerial refueling as part of its mission, it can go ten thousand nautical miles, or about eighteen thousand five hundred twenty kilometers. That's a that's a long trip. And, uh, and, and we've seen some recent use of that. Uh, it can carry 20 tons of conventional and nuclear weapons. It is uh, considered a high subsonic flight, uh, which means that its top speed is just under the speed of sound. Some, something like, uh, what, uh, a thousand feet per second? Something like that, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's really, uh, it, it goes about as fast 
as a, an aircraft can go before it starts becoming supersonic. Right. Right. So which would cause a boom, which is obviously not uh, something you want not, a stealth vehicle to do. Right. Yeah. You know, if the stealth vehicle causes booms, it's not that stealthy. Uh, pirates have discovered this to their own unfortunate uh, detriment. Right. Cannons go boom, uh, whereas the shuriken goes. Poof. Yeah. We all are familiar with the shuriken sound. Hey, guys, it's Jonathan from 2020. I'm being all quiet and stealthy-like, so we can take a quick break to thank our sponsors. So, remember I said that there are 20 of those 21 aircraft still flying around. That's because in February 2008, there was an accident during a takeoff at Anderson Air Force Base in Guam, and that resulted in the loss of the Spirit of Kansas B-2 bomber. And uh, 19 of those 20 are at Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri, because <laughs> I don't say Missouri. Uh-huh. And the other one is at Edwards Air Force Base in California, which is used for flight testing purposes. Okay. Uh, the, the thing about these B-2s, I guess anything that has, that is covered in this stealth technology paint and tape and stuff, is that all of all of that is extremely temperature and weather sensitive. Yes. Um, if you if you get it too warm, it, it's, it's like a mogwai. If you get it warm, uh, if you get it wet. If you feed it after midnight. If you feed it after midnight, um, it, it starts to fall apart. And, and all of that has to be reapplied frequently, basically every time that they take it out of these temperature-controlled hangers. Yeah. And they've started designing um, portable temperature-controlled hangers so that they can run missions overseas. Right, yeah. That is that is one of the big drawbacks to the B-2, is that it does require these, these climate-controlled hangers to essentially live in between missions because otherwise the material that keeps it stealthy would degrade very mm-hmm. rapidly and it would not be a secure method of uh, delivering payloads under the radar, so to speak. Yeah. So you're not literally going under the radar. Um so uh, also recently, very recently, and in, in, as of the time we're recording this podcast, the United States had sent two of the B-2 bombers over to South Korea for training exercises. This is all part of that escalating issue between North Korea and mm, South Korea, Japan, United States, where, you know, th- this is a, a the training exercises are, are this this annual exercise uh-huh. you know, that happens over there. But and, they don't uh, necessarily, <laughs> right, yeah, need to be. Yeah, it's kind of a show of force. Mm-hmm. It's on, going just, hey guys, remember what we got? We got these things. Right, right. It's it's essentially like North Korea has a history of posturing and threatening South Korea as well as lots of other nations, and uh, and then the United States and South Korea have a history of sort of giving a giving a show of force, not directly against North Korea, but just kind of saying, look at all the stuff we have, yeah. think twice before you start to make start threats. Start anything, sure. So, um, and some of the rest of the lots of the rest of the world ends up saying, guys, again, can we, can we, you know, the, you remember the Cold War? And you remember how tense things got? Remember, it's kind of happening again. Remember that pizza? Wasn't it good? Can we go back to just yeah. the pizza? I mean, I, I'm not one to judge whether or not it's the right call, because th- that's way above my pay grade. Uh, and I honestly couldn't tell you what's the right thing to do. But it's definitely it, w- it was definitely one of those things where the United States is saying, look, uh, we want to show South Korea that we are not going to abandon them, nor are we going to abandon the other nations that are 
often uh, threatened by North Korea, Japan being one of them. Sure. Uh, so really, it's the United States kind of saying, like, you guys aren't alone. But, you know, it's one of those one of those deals where when you read the news, it gets a little nerve wracking to see kind of the escalation of tensions. Yeah. Uh, but besides the B-2, there are a couple of other stealth aircraft that are uh, worth mentioning. There's actually several uh, aircraft that have been in either prototype or development stages. But uh, I wanted to specifically mention a couple that were developed and tested uh, or at least tested at one of my favorite places in the whole wide world. Area 51. Yeah. Uh, it's right there behind Disneyland. There's Disneyland, Area 51, and then Smithsonian. Uh, so, um, yeah, the... the <laughs> not, not that those are locationally adjunct, just that that that's the man, that operational would be awesome. order. That would be terrific. That wouldn't be... I mean, it would be a pretty pretty bad secret base if... Uh, it would also be a pretty warm Disneyland. Yes. To be out there in the middle of the desert. So, um, so Area 51, also known as Groom Lake, uh, is a place that the... Air Force has used for testing uh, various prototype aircraft uh, secretly to make sure that they were going to meet the military specifications and needs uh, and be away from prying eyes. Now, the B-2 wasn't necessarily flown there. Uh, it may have been, but... Not it, that we know of personally. Yeah, but there are a couple of other uh, aircraft that were known to have flown out of Area 51. Uh, one of those was called the Have Blue aircraft, which later became the F-117A stealth fighter, better known as the Nighthawk. Right. And uh, that one also was unveiled in 1988. Although, uh, uh, from from what I understand, it had been kicking around in research a lot longer. Yeah, the, the very first uh, Have Blue, I think, flew sometime in 1977. Yeah, so that. eleven years, or, or before. maybe maybe nineteen seventy eight, January February, I think is the first test uh, flight. Gotcha, gotcha. Of that, yeah. So um, fun fun factoid. I'm pretty sure that before it was called uh, Have Blue, the very 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 first name for this technology was Project Harvey, based on the uh, film and stage show Harvey, wherein. Um, Oh, the Jimmy the, Stewart is talking to a giant, to a giant invisible, a, a rabbit that's visible only to Jimmy Stewart's character, right? Not to Jimmy Stewart. Well, that would be even more meta and awesome. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I didn't know that, though. That's interesting. Supposedly. Um, I wrote the How Area 51 Works, and I did not know that. That's really cool. So, uh, of course, I might have written that in that article, and I just forgot. The other thing about that is that uh, Lockheed was the one that uh, designed the Have Blue slash F-117A. Uh, Northrop Grumman also created another stealth aircraft besides the B-2 bomber. It was called Tacit Blue. Oh, right. And that was a stealth surveillance aircraft. So this was just designed to fly over and essentially spy mm-hmm. on nations. It wasn't a combat vehicle, and it was never developed beyond the prototype stage. In fact, I think there's one in a museum at this point. I'd have to go, I, and I'm sure I wrote about it in the Area 51 mm-hmm. article. But... Um, the F-117A actually did go into production, so that that's a stealth fighter, not a not, not a bomber. Right, right. It could it could also carry nuclear payloads. Mm-hmm. The original contract was for five test craft and fifteen production craft, or uh, operational. Yep, and it's been used in lots of United States operations, including Operation Desert Thunder, Operation Allied Force, Operation Enduring Freedom, and Operation. Iraqi freedom. And uh, the during Operation Allied Force back in 1999, uh, it was the one and only instance of an F-117A being shot down. Uh, it was shot down by an anti-aircraft missile that was operated by what was at the time the Army of Yugoslavia. 
because it crashed and seemed to be relatively intact after it crashed. The, the pilot, by the way, ejected safely and was recovered by the U.S. forces, so uh, he was safe. But the aircraft landed, crash-landed, give <laughs> me clearly because there was no one flying it, and was uh, apparently landed mostly intact. Ooh. And in fact, uh, it seems that Russian and Serbian forces were able to observe and possibly even copy the stealth technology, which means that the stealth technology was compromised as a result of that crash. Ouch. It is, again, the one and only time that we have lost a stealth wow. uh, aircraft in a in combat, combat situation, right, right. as opposed to an accident like uh, that would yeah, be yeah. I think I think that I've heard uh, of at least one test accident that yeah. happened where, yeah. And then uh, apart from the F-117, which, by the way, was retired in 2008, uh, turned out that it was just, it, it wasn't really meeting the needs of the military at the time, mm-hmm. and they started to rely more heavily on the F-22 Raptor, which also has uh, stealth technology and also was designed by Lockheed. Uh, they, they retired the F-117 in 20, 2008, but there's still a fleet of them. So, uh, right, yeah. Uh, they, I think that 59 in total were built from 1981 to 1990. Yeah, and, and, and there's at least some of those still in existence. They're just not in active service. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we, I guess they could be put back into active service if necessary, but the F-22 Raptor has essentially taken over their spot in the, uh, the military. And uh, that was unveiled in 1997, and that remains in service. So that's kind of a rundown on the aircraft, the main aircraft in the United States that use stealth technology. Gosh, guys, hope you're really enjoying this classic episode of Tech Stuff. But before we get too stealthy, let's take another quick break. Okay, back to stealth. So we know that stealth is all about avoiding radar, and we know about the various aircraft that incorporate stealth technology to some extent. Right. Uh, So exactly... How does stealth work? How can you avoid radar? Well, so uh, there, this comes in a couple different parts. First of all, you can you can design the shape of the plane in such a way that it bounces the radar rather than directly back to the transmitter receiver apparatus um, somewhere else entirely. Oh, I see. So let's say like let's say I've got a flashlight and you have a mirror, Lauren. Yep. And I and you're just holding the mirror straight up to me. I turn the flashlight on and I can see the flashlight reflected right back at mm-hmm. me. But if you were to tilt that mirror so that the top of the mirror comes closer to you and the bottom of the mirror is further away from you, then the beam is beamed up rather than at me. Right. So if you were to design an aircraft so that lots of the large flat surfaces were angled in weird, wonky, Lovecraftian ways using non-Euclidean geometry, or at least some weird angles, those radio waves would not bounce right back to the radar station. Correct. Um, And also, if you use slightly curved surfaces, um, that will also help, because, uh, you know, the same way that if you... Again, if you've got a flashlight and you point it at a curved mirror, yeah. it's not going to bounce right back at no, you. No, it's going to bounce in a, in a slightly different direction. So, yeah, the stealth... B-2 bomber, as well as the other uh, aircraft we've talked about, have these kind of surfaces. Uh, If you look at the stealth bomber, you see like there's some large, really oddly angular flat surfaces and then some other kind of bulgy uh, uh, curved surfaces. Um, In fact, an interesting point. You remember we were talking about that F-117 that was shot down. Right. Uh, From what I understand, the the way that the anti-aircraft missile system 
detected the F-117 was that the F-117's bomber doors had opened, which increased its radar footprint just enough for it to be detected. Yeah, yeah. And other things that a plane can do can also throw this off. I mean, if if you start to roll the plane, it's going to the the surfaces might. Uh, might line up in a might different line way. up in a different way. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's one thing: is actually designing the surfaces of the aircraft itself can help uh, essentially reflect the the radio waves in a different direction. So you you send out that burst of high frequency radio signal and nothing comes back. It's the same as if nothing is there. Oh, right, right. Or you know, or you might only get as much radio signal back as you would get from a bird or an insect. Right. Which in which case you'd say, well, you'd say. You know, that's that's nothing to worry about. Either that, <laughs> Hypothetically. Or you, either that or you start worrying about every bird. Yeah. Uh, which would probably drive you pretty crazy pretty quickly. Yes. So, um, so that's one way. That's one way. And then the other way is to use those materials um, that you are building the outside of the plane from in ways that don't that absorb rather than reflect. Right. And, and this, at first you might think, wow, what kind of special space age technology is this? But then when you think about it, you know, Radio waves are part of the electromagnetic spectrum, uh-huh. as is, say, visible light. So when you think about visible light, you know, like if you use black paint, that absorbs light. You know, sure. it's, it's reflecting some light back, but not very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, depending on how, the quality of the paint you're using, how how black the black uh-huh. is. It, it also absorbs heat yep. more readily. Yep. So again, that's the infrared radiation. So. Uh-huh. In that case, we already know of materials that can absorb light. So, so really, this is the same sort of thing, except instead of absorbing light, it's absorbing radio waves. And uh, it could be paint. It can be um, a powder-like substance that's worked into the actual composite material that mm-hmm. makes up the plane. Uh, uh, tapes. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's this paint and tape that really needs to be replaced each time the B-2 goes out. The F-22 Raptor relies more on the shape of the aircraft than uh, this sort of material, which means that you can fly an F-22 Raptor more frequently without having to replace all those uh-huh. uh, exterior parts or or to touch up all the exterior parts. Sure. Uh, and in fact, that was one of the things that Lockheed put in mind when they started designing the mm-hmm. F-22. And it's because they learned their lessons from the F-117 and the B-2 bomber. So... Yeah, that that's the other thing is that you create these materials that actually absorb the radio waves. And again, that means that there are fewer waves bouncing back from the aircraft and less of a chance to actually be picked up on radar. Mm-hmm. Now, at the top of the show, I also mentioned the fact that stealth technology is not just about radar. That's the primary thing sure, that we sure. think about. Sure, Well, that's the primary sensor that people are using to detect planes right. at, at longer distances than anything else. Right. So. But you, you can also detect planes either by hearing them, by seeing them, or you know by detecting a heat signature. Mm-hmm. Now, the heat signature thing, I think that's really interesting. The, the way the B-2 gets around the heat signature is a, a very creative exhaust system. Uh, right, because the, the way that people pick up on the heat of planes is, is not by you know, reading like the heat of an engine directly, it's by reading the exhaust. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, so, so if you if you take steps to disguise that by, by for example, cooling the exhaust off before it actually exits the plane, the plane. Yeah. Um, or by putting the exhaust ports on top of the plane, where right. fewer sensors are likely to be 
you know, hovering, above hovering yeah. above the plane than they are on the ground. So. Yeah. So, so that's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. There is this cooling system that the B2 has. So the exhaust actually passes through this cooling system, losing a lot of that heat and it just keeps, uh, you know, it's internalized by the plane, by the bomber. And so once the exhaust comes out, it's not as hot as it would be without that cooling system, uh-huh. making it more difficult to detect the, uh, the B2 with a, with like some sort of thermal sensor. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, it's also the, the way the actual plane is designed. It's designed in such a way that it's difficult to tell which way it's facing when you just glance at it because it's got that flying wing structure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just sort of triangular. Yeah, and at that point, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you aren't able to get a really good bead on it from the ground, it, it can be very difficult or from anywhere, really. It can be really difficult to tell what direction it's moving in, which again makes it a little bit, uh, more likely that the B2 will be able to complete its mission without any, uh, any, problems. Right, right. Uh, if it's flying at night, of course, the black paint will also help it kind of meld Blend in right with the, in with the, with the, the night, bl- sky. night sky. Yep. And, uh, and so there are also systems aboard the B-2 that allow it to uh, target, to, to locate targets even in uh, darkness. Sometimes uh, you're talking about pilots who are wearing night vision goggles, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 again, it's a weapon designed for secrecy and stealth. So yeah. uh, it's it's kind of a cool thing and yeah. scary, too. Yeah, no, they, they also take uh, electromagnetic energy uh, created on board the plane into account when they're doing all of this. Uh, they, they take steps to dampen anything so that it's not going to be, you know, radiating. Looking- Outward radiating and, yeah. outward so um, lots of uh, lots of uh, electromagnetic shielding mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah I mean there's a lot of things you have to think about when you are designing an aircraft that is supposed to be uh, uh, it's supposed to be able to escape detection um, and so it's kind of a I mean it's really it's a fascinating uh, subject to me and by the way, this has meant that uh, that there's also been developments in radar technology as people have tried to find other ways to make it more possible to detect stealth <laughs> right, aircraft. Right. Yeah. Uh, another instrument on these planes tends to be a um, radar warning receiver. Yeah. To, so, so, that, so, so that if you do notice that you're being watched, you can take steps too. Right. You can at least be alerted to that fact and mm-hmm. try to keep on the lookout for any uh, ground defenses like anti-aircraft missile mm-hmm. systems. If you or need anything. to take evasive maneuvers right. or, or whatever or, they... Or, you know, radio back home and say, hey. please advise, do right. we continue on with the mission or do we abort the mission? Sure. Uh, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's fascinating stuff. And we, do, we actually do know quite a bit about it, although the actual secret sauce of the stuff that goes on these aircraft remains a secret for obvious reasons. Oh, right, right. I, I know that it's sprayed on by four independently active robots. Wow. Boy, the stories those guys must tell when they're just sipping down oil over at the oil cooler at the end of a long day. My world is a magical world. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, that's that's the lowdown on stealth technology. It's actually pretty straightforward, and it's mostly all about physics. Yeah. When you think about it, it's kind of, it's to me, it's kind of interesting that it took as long as it did to start to develop aircraft that could effectively avoid radar, because once you understand how radar works, then you already know what it takes to get around it. I guess it just mostly depends on developing the materials that are very good at absorbing radar, because obviously uh, you could design an aircraft that has these weird uh, angles on it, although to make such an aircraft flight-worthy, I suppose, is a bit of a challenge. Uh, right, and that's the other really interesting part about the development of all of these technologies was that it was happening in a time when um, people were first starting to computer design uh, blueprints right, and, and also computer 
construct, use computers to actually do the construction of materials, you know, those robots that we're talking about. Sure. uh, Using robots on an assembly line to extremely precisely put something together. And that concludes another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have a suggestion for a future topic, something that you want to know more about, might be a company, might be a technology, might be a person in tech, might be a trend, any of those things, let me know. Send me a message on Facebook or on Twitter. The handle for both is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.